You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. Sometimes, once you go far enough, there's no turning back. It's 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. It's Monday, and that can only mean it's time for Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Holly Amos, and tonight we are here to discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 9, Rubicon. With you, our Star Trek pals. Now is the time to do it. Get your questions and comments ready and connect with us. Click on the Zoom meeting link or use the one trap from your smartphone or call us at 669-900-6833. Enter the meeting code and the password you see on the screen and we will get you into the Earl Green Room. That is indeed what we will do. You'll talk to Earl. You'll talk to us. We'll talk Trek. It'll be fabulous. Now, before we get to all of that, and even before we say hi to everybody in the chat, and by the way, I see you all in the chat, and I'm very excited to call out some of you by name in a moment, uh, something else we have to talk about. Because usually this is the perfunctory, like, how you doing, Holly? I'm fine. How you doing, John? I'm fine. Or if Norm were here, you know that. Okay, you, what did you do over the weekend, Holly? I jumped out of a plane yesterday. You jumped out of a damn like plane. 14, 13, 14,000 feet. I don't know. The video says it was 13,000. My certificate says it was 14,000. But um, I was very high in the air. <laughs> oh, in the air. <laughs> because I was very high uh, in the air. I went, I went uh, skydiving yesterday. Um, <sighs> it's a bucket list item. The town where I grew up, they are... I mean, they have a skydiving operation that is pretty highly ranked um, in the United States, definitely in California. Uh, it's in Lake Elsinore. And I I actually decided that I wanted to do this. When did I write my bucket list? God, when I was in like high school or something. And I have a friend who is an avid skydiver. Uh, he lives in New York now. I used to live here. He lives in New York now. And, uh, because the New York ones are shut down for the winter, he flew out here and was like, Hey, do you want to go? And we had actually planned to do this back in October and got mm. rained out. Like you can't, obviously if there's cloud cover and you can't see the ground, you, you can't go skydiving. Bad, bad day for skydiving. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, he called me a couple of weeks ago and was like, I'm going to be out there that weekend, do you want to go on the 20th? And I was like, sure. So I rescheduled it. I had to schedule it because I had to go tandem. Like you have to go tandem if you're not trained or licensed. Sure. He's licensed. So he didn't have to, he didn't have to like schedule it. He can just literally show up and jump on a plane and and go skydiving. Um, So got there at eight o'clock in the morning and uh, they put me in him on a plane and they tied me to another person. And I, (laughs) I jumped out of a, I jumped out of a plane. The crazy thing was, and I know my parents are watching right now. So I I called my mom the day before. Cause again, like there's the possibility that it can get canceled or that I'll have to reschedule because of weather. Luckily the weather this weekend was beautiful. It was perfect. And uh, so I called my mom the day before and I was asking her about something else, but was like, Oh, by the way, I'm going skydiving tomorrow. And she was like, what? Um, so she told my dad, my dad called me the morning that I'm driving out yesterday morning is like, uh, are you nuts? And I'm like, no, I'm just, you know, it's on my bucket list. Um, uh, and, and talk so, to us about the level of being scared. Like, so, so the plane yeah. flies over my parents' house all day long. Oh, so like wow. at some point I flew over and I could see my parents' house. I was like, that is where I grew up. That is the house that I 
that I oh, saw wow. as I grew up in. It was it's very easy for me to pick out my parents' house. So, yeah. um, and then I went and had lunch with them, and there was always planes flying over, and I was like, oh, I was on one of those planes, and I was that <laughs> high up. Yikes! Um, interestingly enough, I was not very scared, and I think it's partially because I grew up in that area and you can see skydivers from my parents' house. Hmm. You can see skydivers. If you're just on the 15 freeway, just they're just over there fallen. Like, and I, it, there was, there's not a lot of news or occurrences of skydivers like being killed. So I, and there's like a one in 101,000 chance that you will die skydiving. It's, fairly safe at this point. So I wasn't very scared. And I was with somebody who has done over a hundred jumps and he pretty much put my mind at ease. I was very, I was nervous. I would say that I was nervous and I was excited, but I wasn't scared. Um, the adrenaline of jumping out of the plane, like clearly in the video, I'm screaming. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. And it's very interesting. But it wasn't out of yeah. fear. It was mostly out of adrenaline. Okay. Um, it was an interesting experience. You free fall for about a minute. And then the descent down after your shoot goes is between three and five, depending on how heavy you are. So because I'm a lighter person, like I would probably descend in a lot less time than everybody else, <laughs> but I was tandem. So it was two people. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. All right. Well, anybody who doesn't follow at Holly Amos 22, they can go watch your video and, and the videos. Loads of fun. And yeah. we had a very similar week. I mean, I, I stayed home and I watched uh, I watched Star Trek and um, uh, let's see, I took notes and uh, I watched a movie for Sci-Fi 5. So it was pretty much the same thing. Exactly the same as jumping out of a plane much at 13,000 exactly feet. Um, I, I don't have a bucket list, uh, but if I did, uh, coincidentally skydiving would not be on it. That's fine. So, uh, I'm glad. What would be on it? Uh, not skydiving. That's, it would be that. In fact, Just I, that. I have accomplished that list, not skydiving. So I can Great. scratch that off my bucket list. <laughs> I've done exactly that. Um, look, well, that is awesome. And even though I can't see you from the chest down, like I assume your legs are intact and like you're upright and mobile. So everything was good. Good job, Holly. And good job to the person who shoved you out of that plane. Uh, his name's uh, Aaron. He was Aaron. Uh, okay. He was very good. All right, Aaron, thank you for taking care of Holly and making sure that uh, you both landed safely. So let's say hi to everybody who is in the chat right off the top. Tracy Coco, great to see you. It has been a while, and I'm glad to see you here in the chat. There's Tom, the Vice Admiral. There's our old pal, Scott Palm. Uh, by the way, check out Scott Palm on uh, Facebook. He does have a GoFundMe going to uh, uh, take care of some veterinary stuff. So please go say hi to him if you're not following him and uh, help him because he loves his animals. Uh, there is Bob Amos. Yes, <laughs> he of the Amoses, the famous ones. Um, and I'm talking about the ones that are here right now, not 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 the cookie one. Uh, there is uh, Evelyn. There is, who else? Chris Riker. There, uh, he says, am I in the right place? This is the show about the dolphin lawyer, right? Yes, 100% it is. So welcome. There's John Arminio. There is, uh, who else? Ooh, there's Paul. There's one Paul. Hopefully we'll have more Pauls tonight. There's Alan. There's Jane. Uh, Jane, who is uh, new to the... The, uh, to the uh, Discord chat and to the Mission Log Patreon, which we'll talk about in a moment. There's Dominic, there's Carlos, uh, there are so many, there's Anne-Marie, there's so many people who are watching and chatting with us. It is great to see you all. 
people definitely reacting to your parachuting story with a wow and a Geronimo. Um, so yes, <laughs> people are very impressed by that. So welcome everybody. Very good to see you here. And, um, a little bit to report from Mission Log World. So let me give you the rundown on what's happening this week. Now, this week, Mission Log is off. Yes, we are creating a little break for ourselves before we start Star Trek Voyager. So right now would be the perfect time to go catch up on our interview with Nana Visitor, who is rad, and our DS9 retrospective that came from your questions and comments that was hosted in a roundtable form by Earl Green, who is also rad, and he is here tonight. And you will talk to him when you call or click on the Zoom link. It is also the perfect time for you to catch up on Mission Log Prodigy. We'll be dropping a new episode of Mission Log The Orville this Wednesday. Uh, that would be parts one and two of Identity, hosted by Jessica Lynn Verdi and Mike Richards. And they, of course, do their live YouTube chat Wednesday mornings when that episode drops at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. Remember, you can find all of our shows at podcast.roddenberry.com, and you can check out the video feeds of our podcast and Mission Log Engage, which is coming back, I promise, over on Roddenberry's YouTube channel, youtube.com slash roddenberryprod or youtube.com slash roddenberryentertainment. And uh, yes, yes, you know, Norman and I just working out some scheduling for Engage, but uh, it will be back i'm going to be gone for a few days but we're going to release some while i'm gone so don't worry don't i was worry. like we, you could not have run out of hate mail yet no 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 no. oh oh believe <laughs> me we we still get message and we, of course what's most entertaining is when you get a message like three weeks later after you got the barrage of people who are all commenting on the same thing and then three weeks later you get the one like hey i don't know if you're aware of this but let me just make the same comment that- <laughs> five dozen other people already made but that's fine we love it all we get it all we see it all um and then you know after we've uh you know cried our tears over your uh, hurtful comments then we pick out the good ones and we engage with those online so keep them coming and tonight let's get into star trek discovery because that's what we're here for we're here to talk about rubicon episode nine of season four and all of you who have uh, watched it presumably and are waiting patiently for us to get through the quick recap then you will call in I already see that we have a few people lined up so uh, there is still room and uh holly and everybody else if you'll indulge me here we go Isolinium in hand and hiding in the cavity of a rogue planet, Book and Tarka go about completing the weapon that will destroy the DMA. Meanwhile, Michael Burnham is tasked with following them through the tracker she placed and stopping them, but with the assistance of someone who isn't quite as emotionally connected to the situation. Commander Nan! Speaking of emotions, Saru is feeling the weight of the mission and calls on his old friend President Tirina for a little meditation support. She's receptive and very personal, even inviting him, whenever he likes, to have dinner with her. Discovery jumps to the location of Book's ship, and a cloaked shuttle is dispatched to have a few crew members sneak on board. Bryce, Culber, Reese, and Saru arrive, but a security system that Tarka installed goes into action and starts crushing the shuttle. In order not to kill the crew on board, Book actually helps out to break them free long enough that Discovery can beam them back before the shuttle is completely destroyed. Making sure they're okay, but still intent on his mission, Book jumps out of there. So, Disco is in pursuit to the DMA where Book and Tarka have gone to deploy their weapon. 
That leads Nan to inform Captain Burnham and Saru of one additional detail. She has knowledge of how to destroy Book's ship and relieve Burnham of command if it comes to that. Burnham, with Saru's guidance, has a better idea. Buying some time. The DMA is mining boronite. And if they, well, if Stamets can calculate the rate of consumption, they can gauge when the DMA will move again. When Discovery and Book's ship have their next encounter, the two captains are still playing at preventing the other from doing their job. A sensor is disabled here, an explosion in space is created there. That's all well and good, but his ship will get closer to the DMA controller, and Burnham intends to take her ship right in between. There's more shooting at each other, and they're not serious enough to blow each other up, but they are serious enough to fire weapons that make sparks and rocks fall from the ceiling. Commander Nan is just about ready to give that order, superseding Burnham's authority and destroying Book's ship. But Burnham has one last gambit. She'll fly a shuttle herself over to Book, and if the time comes, Nan can do what she needs to do. What Burnham proposes to Book and Tarka is a compromise. They have a week before the DMA moves again. Just a week is all the Federation asks for an attempt at first contact, and then they will support the plan to use the weapon. And what do you know? Book accepts. He understands, and he's, oh, wait, what's that? Tarka's opinion wasn't accounted for? Well, he's just going to launch the weapon anyway, which makes the DMA blow up real good. Discovery and Book ship both jumped away in time, but now Tarka faces the huge disappointment that he can't find the power source of the DMA he was looking for because it's apparently controlled from somewhere else in the universe. Womp, womp. Disco is back at HQ, no word from Book, no communication with the 10C, no idea what to expect next. Then there's Nan who says her goodbyes, but she'll be back sometime. Saru seeks counsel with Culber about his invitation from the Navar president, and Culber's sage wisdom can be distilled into something along the lines of, Dude, are you crazy? Just go out with her already, duh! Which is what we were all thinking anyway. So, everybody's got a little downtime right now until, holy crap, sensor readings from the USS Mitchell report another DMA has suddenly appeared in the same place as the destroyed one. Gulp. The end. There you go. <laughs> I like the gulp well, at the end. I, well, you know, because it, it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't feel like just, uh, you know, just going right into the, the end. You needed a reaction because they all had a reaction. So Fair. Yeah, yeah. Many, many thoughts about this one. I Lean recap mercifully because it was a lean episode i was surprised that this one is like around the old classic 42 ish minutes and, yeah uh, i know? thought it felt short too i looked at the clock when it was finishing and i was like didn't i just start this well really long teaser like you had the recap yeah. and the teaser way long before you went to the credits but you know what I like it. I, I like sometimes discovery and I certainly if you've been listening to mission log live, I've had my uh, comments and complaints and criticisms about discovery in and among all the things that I like about it too. Uh, but I feel like sometimes it gets weighted under uh, sort of the, the, the heaviness of the stories that they're telling. And it's nice to see something that's really lean with uh with story and and timing so yeah there's also a a good balance of of action and character development we got to see more of 
the bridge crew that everybody's been like, what are are the bridge crew doing? Like, where are they? Um, And really good conversation about diplomacy. And um, there's, there's one, one line from Saru in the ready room um, when he said, you know, in times of division, we focus on what we can agree upon. And I thought that that was a fantastic problem solving tactic and very, Federation and Starfleet and well and it's very nice when you have both sides who are willing to listen to each other to hear that advice you know but which they used very well in that scene between Nan and uh, Burnham, Burnham but then yeah. Burnham is able to use with uh, book and well not you, Tarka, but, but <laughs> not you, Tarka. Uh, right. <laughs> but I, I thought those moments of trying to figure out the next move were all very good and very well earned in this. And and for a show that I think, you know, I've had criticism where Discovery has um told rather than shown in many times, this is an episode that showed rather than told. Right. Um, and, and I thought very effective in, in many of those ways. Uh, but hey, it's not just about us. It's about our listeners who have comments and thoughts and uh, questions. So let's welcome our first. It's Paul. It's our first Paul. Hopefully the first of many Pauls tonight. So <laughs> welcome. How are you doing tonight, sir? Good. And Teddy. Yeah, Teddy's here too. She's got her, she has, you know, got her exercise band on because she yes. had, a, you know, the holidays. You got to start exercising. So. Oh, is that uh, what that is? <laughs> nice. It's that time of year. Um, I love it. Great recap, you know, John. At, at first, I was like trying to figure out what I was going to say about, I just didn't find this interesting, but as you talked about it, the, um, the shuttlecraft sort of confrontation and then resolution, I thought was well done. Um, and, but the thing, there was no surprise to me that the bomb was going to go off, right? Yeah. Regardless of what book did this, this guy's going to do, what he's going to do. So that was sort of anticlimactic, but what I really treasure about this episode is this, you know, watching Saru, in this this new relationship sort of reminds <laughs> you of should be a future taylor swift song or something i <laughs> i really I have no idea where this is going but it should be fun um yeah i, I it, it's it, i don't know it, not my favorite not my least favorite just sort of there um it, it's first contact is going to be interesting what are they going to do with this guy who broke the law and nothing happened does it matter right right well it, um which one breaking the law do you mean uh, tarka or book because well, all of them both all, of them all of them yeah yeah tarka blew it up i mean book yeah. was sort of resolved you know he he basically agreed not to but tarka's just what he is you know i, mm. I wouldn't trust this guy to do i don't know laundry <laughs> you know, he's just such a tool but yeah. you know he's designed that way and i i you know it's I, that's what sort of i thought was flat about the episode is like i know where this is going i just thought the bringing the relationships in was pretty interesting at this point so i don't know the, what what's gonna explosion, happen the explosion was kind of i have that in my notes the dma explosion was kind of lame <laughs> Like that was anticlimactic. Like I, and I knew that that was going to happen too. I was like, Oh, Tarka is going to intervene, but it was just like, boom. And then there, that conversation was over and I was like, all right, well, but then him finding out that, you know, the, the device isn't actually there and it's on the other side. And I was like, Oh, okay. 
there's a, there's a reason why I was a little bit anticlimactic because that was not like the end of that story. Yeah. Um, but I was a little bit like. Ugh. So the other the other thing I see coming, you know, the very end, it's like, did we make just first contact? To me, it's like, well, this thing broke. Let's send in a new one. <laughs> yeah, like, do they are they is the species even aware? I mean, because if you think about how unaware we were of their motivations and then we find out via observation and science that it's actually a mining vessel and they probably don't mean to be destroying planets and killing off entire species. Um, do is it sort of the same thing for them? Like, are they like they see it? that it's not there anymore. And do they have any idea that there's all these other species that are like, no, you're killing mm. us and we're going to blow it up. Like they could just be like, Oh, this thing broke and we're going to fix it or put a new one in install a new one. Like I feel like they're completely unaware. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so far advanced. I mean, I, I think the, the equivalent is like, you know, when they built a new, condo building next to my place and it's like uh, all the stuff that got uprooted and the the, you know ants and bugs and all the stuff that were in the earth at that point like it it doesn't matter you don't think about that (laughs) that's that's what these the the species 10c has as far as mining boronite where they need it because you know they need the stuff they're sending off their equipment to some other place in the universe where they don't care or know what's going on you know it's just then, the material you know, Jen, after. You have to consider, okay, so we put all this energy in and this guy can kind of, this is illegal, you know, highly controversial material to blow the thing up and they simply send in another one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> good luck with this. Yeah, like I, how many yeah. spares do they have? <laughs> <laughs> well, what do the weapons look like? Yeah, yeah. and that, that's, you know, that's a question that, they, that the Admiral asks. Like, what is, that's insane. What, what are their weapons going to look like? That's the scary part of this. And, and can is this a, a being or an intelligence that can be reasoned with? You know, again, does it just sound like so much noise if, um, if you've got the whole Federation from our end of the universe saying, hey, stop that? What? <laughs> Why? Yeah, like Why, perhaps it doesn't care? even have language. I mean, like the crystalline entity – same yeah. thing. It didn't have any idea what it was doing. It was just trying to survive unbeknownst to it, that it was impacting and killing people. Uh, it like, it, but there was also like not really a way to communicate with it. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I, I want to acknowledge a few of the comments here that I thought were definitely on point. Carlos saying exactly what was on my mind. Uh, Chekhov's DMA bomb. Yes. If you introduce the DMA bomb, you have to see the DMA bomb go off. So you're 100 percent right. Dominic saying the shuttlecraft close up scene looked rad. Uh, I thought both shuttlecraft scenes look great. They make yeah. really good use of those sets. And uh, that that was cool. Like. In a lot of Star Trek, we've seen the main view screen as essentially a camera looking out into the world. But in this case, you have a shuttle and you have a book ship literally just glass looking at you. Yeah, looking at each other. And that was that was very cool. It was a dramatic way to do that. And then Dave Takechi, I uh, got to thank you here for bringing this up. By the way, I will say this about the episode. I recommend everyone go back and watch the Voyager episode, The Omega Directive. Pay careful attention to what the Omega Molecule looks like, which only Seven of Nine actually saw, and then rewatch this puppy, meaning Rubicon. I've, just I thought saying. that too. 
Did you? Okay. Yeah. All right. So I I do remember that there was the Omega Directive. I do remember that that was a thing in Voyager. Uh, but I am I am pleasantly uh, forgetful of my last rewatch of Voyager because now we have just started Voyager Mission <laughs> Log. So honestly, I don't want to skip ahead. I know we got a ways to go because it's like season six, six or seven that that comes. It's off. pretty late, yeah. It's pretty late, yeah. Uh, so I don't want to go back and rewatch it, but I'm glad that there is a tie-in here. There's a lot of. There's a lot of potential tie-ins that I'm seeing, and there's just a lot of callbacks that are probably not tie-ins at all. Um, but like non-coming back and like the Barzan species at all existing in a time in which there's, you know, this thing that's moving around the universe just made me think of the price because that's the first time we see that species and there's a moving wormhole and it just had the same vibes to me. But Omega, I thought of, and like, the more, more and more Tarka, and people have said this before, and I was like, eh, but more and more, he aligns with Lazarus from the alternative factor. Oh, dear God. <laughs> like, are we going oh. there? Is that who this is? Oh, what? You're the oh, one who liked him. Yeah. I do like him. I still like him. Um, and if it's if 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 he's Lazar, oh god! There you go. You can wrestle with him in Never Never Land. Yeah, right. We'll, right. See how much you like him. By, by, by the way, let, let's do another uh, another mind blowing thing here again from David. Finally, I will add this in the episode the Omega Directive. It is stated the Borg use boronite. Uh, yep. used boronite once to synthesize a single molecule of drumroll please oh, omega, omega. Mm-hmm. and, and the, says mike dropped <laughs> mike yeah and very said, early on i think i said in an episode that when when they first started talking about a species has made this thing yeah um i was thinking borg well and dave says my prediction we will either see omega or the borg by the end of the season oh <laughs> Look, I, well, I don't. I least, don't know. Hmm, I, at least he I, I gives us some direction. You know, right now I'm just sort of hanging here, going, I, who, I, you know. So I'm, I'm still in a. I like the dinner date. That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, okay, the rest yeah, of it, yeah, the rest of it can go happen. Well, see, and, but I think Paul, that speaks to what happened in this episode that I, I really connected with. Is it felt like there were character moments that were really genuine, yes. and even if it was just like bringing Non back and and her reunion, like all of that felt great. And I so want to see more of Commander Non. I think she is so good and just kind of like an untapped resource for this show. Having that shuttle trip with Saru, uh, Reese, and Bryce, uh, really good stuff with them. And it, and it took up very little screen time, mm-hmm. but it was valuable. Like, if we had gotten that two seasons ago, I feel like we'd have all been much more appreciative. And then you got Saru and, and the Prez. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll end here, John, with um, I agree with that completely. I think this show has gotten a great direction now. There's There's much more, you know tentacles going out all over the place and it's it's more interesting it's not and they've really cut back on the violence they don't have so much Mm -hmm. graphic violence and i'll leave you with this i think saru's parallel to odo you know sort of that's what it reminds me of that sort of experimenting with a different kind of relationship i you know he's just a vibe isn't it it's yeah he's such a great actor and he's got that bizarre sort of ethereal just 
Doug Jones is just so incredible in yeah. person and in this character. It just comes through. So um, I'll leave you with that. And I know you got plenty more folks on the line. Holly, thank God you're alive. Why would you, why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? I say that in my video. Don't watch my video. I literally say I'm going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. You can. You can. No, thanks. But anyway, congratulations. And, uh, carry on, fine folks. We'll see you again. Peace out. Paul, have a great night. Wonderful. And by, by the way, uh, Dominic can hear making a plea to Eagle Moss for Lazarus's ship. You know, I, uh, yeah, I don't think Eagle Moss has done it yet, but I'm fairly sure someone made it. Was it the Christmas ornaments? I think there's a Christmas. No ornament. way. Okay. Well, that, that sounds like Kevin Dillmore's sixth sense of humor. So sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Hallmark made a Christmas ornament of it. Wow. Mm. Wow. Anyway. All right. Well, let's talk to our next caller. Haven't seen him in a little while, but here he is. He's back with uh, some amazing comments on tonight's discovery. It's the Vice Admiral. How are you doing tonight, sir? I am good. Been a while, John and Holly. How are you been. both doing? Good. Good to I'm see alive. you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I heard about your, your uh, well, <laughs> aside from the skydiving, the, the lip incident. Uh, so I didn't do that today. You're fine. I did not punch myself in the face with my headphones tonight, so that's good. Extra bonus. Norma was trying to give me a description of that, just the the tension from the headphones. Yeah, I went to I went to open them to put them on my head, and my right hand let go, and it punched me in the face, and it split my my top lip. It split my lip open. Wow, wow. Okay, so like you carried on with the show because you're you can tell that I'm favoring my lip. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not from the audio. No, oh, well, no. that's good. That, that's sort of like that idiot thing where, you know, you're laying in bed reading something and the phone drops. You drop your phone on your face. face. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Well, and the week before I burnt my finger with my hair straightener. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I might have died yesterday. <laughs> Total disaster. <laughs> uh, Tom, what is on your mind tonight? Well, I mean, Dave, uh, in the chat already brought up some of the uh, the 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 whole point of, well, Boronite. Yeah, and even though Saru said that boronite can be used to make some of the most powerful things, substances, whatever he said uh, last week, mm. we only know of one, and that mm. is omega. Yep. Mm. And um, you know the reason the board couldn't do it again is why? Because they couldn't find enough, because they didn't apparently have a five you know, light year across dredge, <laughs> or five, yeah. however big the DMA is. It is certainly massive, and we if we if the thing that we saw at the end of last episode as well is where they live. It's like they've enclosed their civilization in some gigantic shielded thing, like uh, uh, makes a Dyson shell look laughable. Then mm-hmm. they would need the power, which is what they said. They said they would need such an enormous source of power. Well, we know of one, and yeah. that is Omega. Ah, well, all right. See, this is interesting because I, I hadn't until tonight, I, I had not put any of these pieces together. And it's really interesting to hear everybody speculate and curious to hear how this goes. And I'm of two minds about it. One, this is a very clever way to introduce this idea. And true to Borg form, it's just a purely pragmatic exchange. It's just like, Okay, the, there is a thing out there that we need. We need this element. We're going to go get it, and that that's the way it works. Now, the other side of me that looks at Star Trek totality, 
I just wonder, like, how many more things do I need to see that also existed in the other oh, Star no. Trek? Totally agree. But it doesn't mean that you these know? are Borg that, no, that have no. kind of gone Omega. And you got to wonder, the way that Seven reacted when she saw for that moment, you have to wonder if the Borg actually somehow were what we're going to see, which I, I hope not. I do. But mm. if we did, mm-hmm. is it the Borg after they've discovered their, their holy grail, their perfection, and they've become something completely different? Well, and that is interesting. He's got 800 years of change and evolution since we last encountered the Borg. So, I, yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of room for writers to flex some creativity there and figure out what they would be or could have become. Or I, I, I'm, I'm interested, but I also don't want to feel like we're just going back to the well. Agreed. You know? And that, that yeah. is my fear for this. If that is what it is, then yeah. is it just yet another... Oh, look, there's some nostalgia for you. Let's have some more. I mean, Lower right. Decks, that's what we're supposed to have from there. Leave. Right. We don't need it for every right. other Trek show. Right, right. Well, and then I wonder if we would feel differently. Um, I mean, of course, the Borg were used throughout Voyager and you even came back for a moment in Enterprise. And of course, you know. Card had it too, which is why I thought there's the no oh, way yeah, good point. writers would be putting yeah, it in Discovery yeah. too, which is why I gave up on the like early on when the Borg popped into my head. I was like, no, no, because Picard had the Borg too. Like, why would they? Yeah. I don't know. Well, see, and, and that's kind of what makes me wonder big picture here. It's like, are, are there writers who can look at Star Trek and go, you know, are they coming to it and saying, well, it's not Star Trek unless you have Spock. Therefore, we've got to fit the Spock family, the Sarek family into Discovery, which we did the first two seasons. And right. guess what? It's not Star Trek unless you have Borg. So now we've got to fit Borg into this as well. And, and I, I wonder why that impulse is there. You know, what I what I will say about of I was thinking about <clears throat> like, what if Tarka is Lazarus? Um, mm-hmm. That's a fairly deep cut because that's not the greatest episode of TOS. And I think. Um, for the people that have yeah. not seen all of TOS, that's likely not one of the episodes that they've seen. Yeah. Um, you know, Trouble Tribbles Arena, like there's a handful of episodes that if you've seen any, those are the ones that you've seen. Um, I will say that I feel like if that's the case, that more people might go back to that episode and watch it and then get reinterested in TOS. And I feel like that's something that Star Trek has always done well. And I'm not saying that this is like, the greatest exercise because at some point it's going to get, you're trying to get new fans in and you might alienate them by consistently making those kinds of references. But there's a fine line because when the JJ Abrams films came out, a lot of people went back and watched the original series. So there was a, there was, there was reinterest in that. Um, And I appreciate when that happens because it helps keep the franchise alive, even if people are going back and watching the old material. Yeah. Um, So I think there's a balance there. I'm of two minds about it. I mean, you know, it's sort of just like a it's like a great remix uh, on a song. Like if you can come out with a great remix that makes me appreciate the original. Cool. Then those two things can exist in my head and I, I will want both of them and I will appreciate them differently. But if every song that ever comes out <laughs> is a riff on the same previous song, it's like, okay, I, I need some other creativity here. If you can go back to an episode and if you can pull, uh, you know, uh, 
unearth Lazarus and make me appreciate that episode because I do not appreciate that episode. That, and that at would be all. that would be yeah. less obvious. That would be yeah. less obvious than being like we're going to do the Borg again. Because- right, right. That would be super cool. And I just and I, I feel the same way about Spock and Sarek. Like I got twenty five plus years right. of the Sarek family, and they were great. They're awesome. So I don't need to be told this is Star Trek because, look, here is also Sarek. But I'm now I'm just rehashing my season one, season two issues, and I apologize to <laughs> everyone within the sound of my voice. Um, we do have a couple of other callers, but uh, Vice Admiral, I, I do want to know if you got any other thoughts tonight, any other uh, uh, angles on this episode? No, I think that what we might be seeing, and I'm again, let's hope it's not the board because that would be predictable. With Omega, if that is what it is. But I think if we have, if we're able to get outside the galaxy here, maybe for the first time because of the barrier, that except for except for a couple of very very special circumstances, then what are we going to are we going to find out that this thing is what? There's a more of them, and and people living in galaxies are kind of like those are just the slums. Everybody's really living in between galaxies. That's where all the powerful <laughs> folks are. That's a good point. <laughs> That's, yeah, you know, could very I mean, well be in a galaxy. You got all kinds of of things that destroy things, gamma ray bursts all the time, and supernovas and all that. Maybe in between is where all the cool kids live. Yeah, yeah, no, it could very well be. I mean, that that's that. This is truly unexplored territory for Star Trek. If if we're able to go there, and you know, I can only think that yeah, we broke the galactic barrier a couple of times, and then um, uh, the the Kelvins. Um, yes, uh, from Andromeda, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was really the only other real encounter that we had in TOS. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this, yeah, yeah, I guess we will all just have to hang out for five more episodes, five more episodes, Is it four, or five? Uh, four, four more, four more episodes. Four, and... We're, we're going to be at 13, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So oh, that's right. Yeah. Because of math, because of math. Because of math. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and then that overlap with Picard. So you know, watch out folks. All, all right, right, John, uh, Holly, it's been great. Talk great to you again to soon. See you take care till next time. Take care. Hey, uh, before we jump over to our next caller, I will very quickly remind everybody to join us at Patreon. We have had a a mini explosion, not not you know DMA size explosion, but a mini explosion on our Patreon. People signing up, joining us over there at Patreon.com/slash/MissionLog, and then joining us on Discord. And it has been. So cool and so much fun. Those of you who are members now, you already know you get early access to our shows. You get the unedited uh, kind of me and Norman riffing before the shows. You get the video uh, version of all of our shows posted exclusively to Patreon. And then uh, we get our Hangouts and our, our Discord has truly become a community on its own. Uh, there are so many topics there and I just love popping in, you know, a few times a day and you see people talking about everything from British sci-fi of the sixties and seventies to what they had for dinner. And that this is what I am there for. So join us. If you haven't patreon.com slash mission log, you get everything for as low as a dollar a month. There's even a discount if you sign up for the whole year. So that is a really good deal. The higher tiers, you get some exclusive mission log swag. Um, and the highest tiers, you actually get your name in the show as an associate producer. So go have a look, patreon.com slash mission log. Join us there. I look forward to seeing all of you in our discord all right our next caller who has been patiently standing by it's cosmo 
Time to check in with Cosmo. How are you doing tonight, sir? Good evening. Forgive me uh, being in the dark. Uh, they're filming an independent movie at my house yesterday and today, so I'm relegated to the backyard right now. Oh, no way! That's <laughs> not what I expected the explanation to be. <laughs> well, I've been cooped up in the office all day, but now they're filming right adjacent to the office, and so I'd have to be whispering out in there, so I'm out back. And uh, it. <laughs> I stayed home to monitor and manage the situation, which involved me staying in the office all day. But my poor wife and uh, the twin two-year-olds and our six-year-old had to get out of the house the last two days. So she she needs a stiff drink once she gets home. And well, uh, I mean, they're paying for that space, right? They are. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's our first time having them in the house. Uh, we had a music video filmed in the front yard a couple of weeks ago, and that was no big deal. But it's intimidating seeing them move all our stuff around. And uh, uh, but yeah, it's cool. That's um, wild. I, look, you don't need to be so modest. It's probably Picard <laughs> season three doing another time travel thing. And it has happened to end up at your house. That's yes. That, in the San yeah. Fernando Valley. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, back to what you guys were just talking about. My gut tells me it's not the Borg. Uh, I, I just got the feeling from when they, the stuff involving them in Picard, that the Borg are kind of done. Yeah. That whatever Voyager's final interaction with them, it wasn't like they were liberating Borg. It seemed like they were just reclaiming, freeing, deactivated drones. And I sure got the feeling that they're kind of done, that Voyager did some serious damage. So I, I would be very surprised if uh, the DMA people ended up being Borg. And um, so I, I got a negative and a positive. Um, uh, one thing that really stuck out to me and took me out of the episode was when Burnham and Book have come to an agreement and Burnham says, okay, all right, let's go. Great. And I'm like, you said, you knew Tarka was going to do it. We all knew it. The characters should have known it. I know for plot reasons, they didn't, but I'm just sitting there like, why are you leaving him unattended? Don't let him have access to the controls. And then he shoots it off and everybody acts surprised. And I'm, I'm trying to think like in that episode of TNG where there's uh, the uh, warden from Shawshank Redemption is trying to go uh, get uh, Cardassians and they let him stay on the ship with uh, the first officer in command. And then he still uh, goes off and attacks more Cardassians, but he's a Starfleet officer. Tarka's not Starfleet. No one should have any trust in him. And for the characters to, they should have made some effort and then he could have used his brain to still fire it. Let let me propose this though. Uh, If being aggressive toward Tarka would then shut off book's ability to trust either Burnham or anybody else from the discovery crew. I mean, that, that could also be part of the equation there. It's just like, if you, if you're in command and you go to a guy like book and say, Hey, look, we know you, we trust you. We're on your side here. We, we feel for your loss of, uh, you know, your planet, you're acting uh, as Colbert says, you know, he's, he's angry. He's fearful. He's got all of these things going on. But by the way, while we're doing that, we're also manhandling Tarka and wrestling him to the ground because he can't be trusted <laughs> near anything. It's like that, that could send the wrong signal, you know? Yep. Fair. Um, uh, so, but, uh, you know, that said, I, I think your point is very fair just from a, from a dramatic perspective. It's like, we know something has to happen. We, we know that, that 
eventually that weapon is going to be set off and that Tarka is not to be trusted. We all know that. Even if Holly doesn't want to believe it, that Tarka just cannot be trusted. No, know? I know he can't be trusted. I mean, okay. I feel like Vance is playing into this too, right? Because like Vance is the admiral and he's the one that was like, I trusted Tarka. I put him into this role. Um, hmm. I don't know. Reminder that the characters are also not seeing everything that we're seeing. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. And then my positive was um, the idea of these aliens being from between the galaxies is really exciting to me. That's one of the most exciting things recent Trek has uh, thrown out there. And I I hope it it gets paid off and it's not just a MacGuffin or just gets pushed to the side for uh, dramatic interpersonal stuff. But, you know, Star Trek, like you guys just talked about, has been so confined. I mean, up until Voyager and uh, Deep Space Nine, it was just in basically half our galaxy, maybe mm-hmm. mostly a quarter. And so to get to explore what could be out there beyond it is re- a really exciting idea. And I, I look forward to seeing what they show us. And, you know, that that's a good point. There could be something really unique for discovery like particularly when you look back at all of these shows years from now that pretty much all of star trek has been obviously in our galaxy and we've hopped from quadrant to quadrant in different different series and different times when that was important to the story but because you have this several hundred years distance between tos era TNG era and now they have this luxury of being able to push that Star Trek envelope quite a bit more and present at least some ideas of like, yeah, Star Trek is looking at the final frontier. It's trying to see what's out there in space. What if we go even further and we're looking beyond our own galaxy at something extra galactic or into another galaxy? That that's great. That could honestly be the legacy of this show, um, mm-hmm. and I'm curious to see where their creativity takes them with that. Yeah, because uh, I, I I love to explore what's between the galaxies. Let's go yeah. to another galaxy we've never been, and uh, you know, once this whole DMA stuff is done, I'd love to see Discovery explore or have reasons to go to other parts of the gap, go check on the gamma quadrant. What's it's Mm. been, you know, 900 years since the dominion collapsed. Well, well, let's go explore over there or let's go back to the Delta quad. So I'd I'd love to uh, expand things now that they are getting the Federation rebuilt in the the future, future. And uh, uh, so it's, it's exciting. So um, good job discovery. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for calling tonight, Cosmo and uh, go reclaim your house when you can. Okay. Good to see you guys. All right. Take care. All right. We have uh, Alan, who is waiting patiently from the Lower Decks. How are you doing tonight? Doing good. It's good to be with you guys again tonight. Uh, this is the President's Day party. We're we're happy to be here. <laughs> you know what? Can, can I just say, I, I came in today and I was like, there's nobody here. Why, <laughs> why is it empty? Why is there nobody here? But yeah. It sure is quiet, and that's kind of pleasant. And uh, now, yeah, it took me all day to figure that out. So, yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, Mail should be arriving yeah. <laughs> any minute now. I, mm, yeah. Right. And then, well, yeah. And Holly, congratulations. Uh, you know, uh, Fun fact, uh, skydiving has consistently been my joke answer for what I'm giving up for Lent uh, every year. So, Oh, so you're, you're like, John, John, that <laughs> could be much. your... Yeah, are, are, wait, are you giving up skydiving this year for Lent? Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you, okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. wow. 
Cool. You know, I, I may join you in that. Though. It's worked. It, it's worked so far. Okay, cool. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. Well, what, uh, what is on your mind tonight, Alan? Oh, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying all the, the theorizing about, uh, the nature of 10 C and, uh, you know, everything going into the, you know, the deep dives into the lore. I think that's really cool. And certainly above, above my pay grade as far as uh you know remembering stuff from the show um i just I, you know i just really uh just another really solid episode that i think you know we you guys have been talking about it all all evening of how it's you know there was a good good pacing good action um decent stakes um yeah, when you call it Rubicon, somebody's going to press that button. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. sure. That's that's just how it works. The you know obviously the you know the people in the show don't know that they're in they're in Rubicon, but there you go. Um, and then yeah, just the the continued presence and expansion of stuff to do for the bridge crew is mm-hmm. and is just good to see loved having rachel and Cheryl back as non that was you know so cool yeah. yeah and uh speaking also of guest stars i think it's tara tara rosling as as tarina mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again i not normally a, a shipper, but boy, <laughs> the ruin, the ruin, Tarina, really, really, that that works for me for some they're, reason. They're so sweet and respectful yeah. of each other. Yeah, it's sweet, respectful. You know, just it, it's almost like it's like this uh, merchant ivory style relationship, but there's so oh, yeah. much tension there, and they won't ever express their true feelings. But ah, uh, you're just mm. you're just waiting for them to to be able to get together it's, upstairs. Very, yeah. very uh, upstairs, downstairs. <laughs> yeah. yes. Maybe by the end of the season, guys, we might get some hot finger on finger action. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what we're yeah. here for. Awesome, and you know, in the in the the shuttlecraft scene with Culber and Saru and and Bryce and Reese, just getting. You know, continuing the debate about the DMA. Yeah, Bryce and Reese's argument was really good. Like, got, yeah, yeah, that got heated. And you know, I say it's. It, it, I think I think it's good that uh, I think was it was it Reese who said uh, you, you don't know what it's like to lose everything. To lose, yeah. mm-hmm. It's it's good that he that that they had him say that because when you're in an argument, a lot of times you do say really stupid things hmm. that that you might regret later on, especially when you're, you know, in a, a small confined space with three other people who have also literally lost everything. Yeah. 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 No. And it's one of those things where, okay, we know what the argument is because they laid it out very nicely at that Federation assembly early on. But the fact that they have gone back to it in meaningful ways that have personal impact, I feel like have set a really nice tone for this in a way that other Star Trek doesn't always get to do, which is when you're telling an ep- uh, telling a story that is just encapsulated in one episode, you kind of have the argument for a moment, 
and then somebody in authority makes a decision and you move on from that and it's never spoken of again. Mm-hmm. But here you actually have people who are feeling the impact of what their decision or what the orders are that they have to uh, to follow. I thought it was very effective. And just from a um, uh, from a writing and production standpoint, I thought the other success of this episode is that even though it, it is firmly bounded by the the big arc that we're telling this season. You could take all the moments of action and all the character moments, and they actually do work on their own. You know, some episodes feel very standalone, and they just feel kind of crammed into the season. I go back to season one, and you look at um, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. That's an episode we all remember because it was such a standalone, and it felt like it didn't fit even though it was a great episode. Here you have this very nice balance of something that is part of the arc, but everything that happens in its own uh, 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 sort of mini arcs in the episode, where the characters like, where Burnham has to get with Nan, where Burnham has to get with Book, what Tarka's decisions are, even on this small scale, Saru getting the advice that he needs to go uh, uh, follow up on his feelings with Tarina. Those are all satisfying, you know, beginnings, middle and end or the end of a moment leading to the possibility of a next step. So I I thought that all worked extremely well. And I feel like going back to uh, Bryce and Reese very quickly, I always um, really love to see bridge crew or main characters disagree with each other because Mm. very early on, as we know, Roddenberry was extremely against that. And while I, I appreciate his vision of what he thought that would be in the utopian society is like, if you're on the same team, you agree with each other. It's quite unrealistic. (laughs) So I always appreciate when they, when they get into a tussle with each other. Let me ask you this though, because I, I never took that, to mean that bridge crew or or you know members of Starfleet or members of the same ship crew don't have differences opinion of opinion and very heated differences of opinion. I always took it to mean that they are able to express their differences of opinion. They will also follow their orders. They will also band together to do what is right at the end of the day. So I I, I feel like yeah. th- there was this kind of weird i i don't i mean of course i don't know what gene's intentions were but i always felt like there was this weird kind of extreme version of that to say they can't ever fight right and i i I feel like that wasn't maybe the intention misinterpreted yeah yeah Yeah. i i I completely yeah i completely agree with that i think that that is the that is the best interpretation of that i don't necessarily know that that's how they were interpreting that at the time um you guys partially because you guys just did uh what you leave behind um because i watched that on youtube it also um uh pointed me in the direction of a certain other documentary about uh the uh the early years of tng oh oh mm, yeah a certain, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I yeah. I don't. I don't know if that's. Uh, I don't know if that's a persona non grata situation or not. So I'm not going to mention it. But no, no. I, you may, uh, you're talking about uh, chaos uh, on the bridge. Yeah. Yes, ASK yeah. on the edge, Bray. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. but yeah, that that definitely that's certainly what Maurice Hurley thought it meant. Uh, was nobody? Yeah. yeah, nobody disagrees about anything. 
Um, and yeah, no, that's, that is, that is interesting. And I think what sort of, what I like about getting the bridge crew more involved and getting just all the characters involved in general is because when TNG really started to sing, when Pillar showed up and Mm -hmm. in season three is that it stopped being, we can't disagree about anything. It's, this is, this is a problem uh, this is a data problem or a wharf problem or a Troy problem or whatever. And they, they present, you know, it's a problem for that character. And then everybody else sort of, you know, chimes in and gives their opinion. It yeah. goes back to ethos, pathos and logos. And that's kind of how I felt the, the main conflict in this episode was as well. It was Michael and Booker on opposite sides trying to work something out and on each of their shoulders is the little, you know, I'll just say the the devil or the angel on their shoulder, whatever you want to think of it as saying, this is your duty. This is what we got to do. You know, and they're just like, come on, you know, I know that's what I have to do. I know that's what my duty is, but let's try and, figure something out. Yeah. It was, well, well, look, it was, it's, it's yeah. a very Picard thing to say, we're always going to try to negotiate. It, it's yeah, Burnham yeah. at a, every turn saying like, look, I know we could pull the trigger. I know that we could fire that torpedo, but here's a chance for compromise. Here's a chance to negotiate. Here's a chance to try to come to a better solution at every turn. It was really cool to see. Yeah. Alan, uh, yeah. we have one more caller standing Absolutely. by tonight. So uh, we're going to say goodbye and we will see you again very soon, I hope. The, the gentleman from Iowa cedes his time for Valeria. <laughs> okay. And have a good evening. Take care. Yeah. As we're wait- here at the end of the episode, just waiting to have our minds blown, as uh, Earl has said. Great to see Valeria back on the show. So uh, welcome. And uh, yeah. What do you got for us tonight? Hello, true believers. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) I was telling Earl that, like, for the most part, I have given up on Discovery being the show for me. But there is one exception that keeps me coming back, just hoping for more. And it... It is Saru and Tarina, (laughs) as I've been calling them. And I just feel so fed this week. Um, (laughs) That's fantastic. uh, I thought I thought that first scene between just the just between the two of them was great. And then later we get Saru going to Culver for advice about it. Uh, <laughs> that first scene uh, between them also was a really uh, I feel like that was also a continued conversation about asking for help right because he uh-huh. was yeah. like this helped free up my mind and I'd like to do it again can you help me which I appreciated that portion of it as well and I'm just like now Ojesta <laughs> <laughs> But there was something no, really, just, uh... There's something really great about the the efficiency of that storytelling because again, you you just have that one scene with them at the beginning. You've got mm-hmm. the follow up at the end with uh, Saru and Colbert, but you it, it, just 
purely through understanding, you get what's going on in Saru's mm-hmm. mind. And it's this efficiency of dialogue, this efficiency of the scenes that, that really I always look for in good storytelling. Yes. You don't need to spend half the episode doing it. You just, you can infer so much when you've got great actors like Doug Jones mm-hmm. who can sell the emotion. It's wonderful. Absolutely. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> makes me so happy. I'm so uh, glad. I'm so glad. Anything else in the episode that stood out <laughs> to you, positively or negatively? So, I know y'all were just talking about, like, in the discussion between Bryce and Reese, but, like, for me, I just felt like the writing of that was just so clunky that the whole time I was just feeling really bad for those actors. That what, that was, was what it? those... Was it too on the nose or it just what, felt what very it just felt very clunkily written, like I don't know, I feel like I feel like Prodigy had more adult presentations of similar conversations. Mm. Oh, you th- oh, okay. so you think it was a little bit juvenile in its in its writing. Yeah, like, I just, I feel like we've got good story people in the writer's room on Disco, but I don't know if we have good, like, teleplay people in the writer's room on Disco. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah. (laughs) No, I I see what you mean, and and there is something about that scene that's very on the nose. I, I think... Partly I give it a pass because we've had so little of those two characters I want to know more about. And I also feel like, well, this is one of those things that would keep coming up. I think, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you're out there on a mission and and you're a crew member and you're being told like, okay, we are risking our lives to do this thing that Mm -hmm. we've been directed to do. But at the same time, I could emotionally feel maybe very much opposed to that mission because I think the people on the other side are doing the right thing. You know, oh, absolutely. I, I, I think it would come up, but I, I think also to your point, how does that dialogue sit with us? Does does it feel right. too like, hammered? Home? Yeah, yeah. Like it's not the content of the discussion; it's mm-hmm. just the composition of it. Sure, I think that's fair. I think that's yeah, fair. but then uh, piggybacking on uh, the conversation you were just having about that uh, with just how that plays out in like the history of Star Trek. Um, I just, I, I <clears throat> that's a point that's just very interesting to me because like, it's very the no conflict between Starfleet people is very early TNG Yes. Mm-hmm. And less TOS. Oh, and yeah. less TOS. Yeah. And, and so, like, people talk about it being an early thing, like a, a gene era thing. But then, like, especially the more I've heard about just different people who have been in, who were involved in the show attributing a lot of that to Mazelish, uh, I'm just like, is that really a gene thing, though? Because <laughs> that's not what we see in TOS at all. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, keep in mind, it's always important to think about what are the stages of Gene that we're talking about? Because Mm -hmm. you you had Gene, who was writing TOS, writing a Western in space, and it's very 
post-World War II. It's very, you know, Kennedy era uh, uh, space uh, exploration. It, it's, uh, you know, post-war economic boom. It's all this stuff influencing what was the original series. Mm-hmm. After that's over, you have Gene becoming the college lecture circuit futurism guru and exactly. it, it's much less about star what star trek <clears throat> was when he was creating it and it's much more about let's have this kind of trippy discussion on what the future could be because uh-huh. here's all these college kids who are inspired by star trek then you know suddenly gene's back in the producer seat again when he got to next gen and it's like he gets to reinvent it again Mm -hmm. so even that and and very much to your point you have somebody else writing his notes (laughs) so Uh so there there are these uh very different uh you know that's why we always sort of say that with a wink and a nod on mission log when you're talking about gene's vision it's like Uh well okay yeah it was are are you really though yeah Yeah. right like for me gene's vision will always be Write, a, write about whatever you want in your little fanfics, just no zippers in the future. <laughs> yeah, right. Very important. Very important that you walked away with that lesson. So, yes, yeah. And, and no that square will cigarettes. Be, yeah, yeah that, that will always be my understanding of Gene's vision. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. It's a very loose thing up for interpretation, but not that, not that. All right. No, Valeria, <laughs> thank you so much for calling in. It's great to see you again. Uh, any other thoughts before we say goodnight? No, just Joel on True. <laughs> <laughs> Joel on True. Till next time. All right. Thank you. And Holly, thank you for being uh, bodily intact and uh, <laughs> mentally intact to do the show. Really appreciate that. And uh, to all of you. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Technical production on Mission Log Live provided by the incipient Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcast. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Special thank you to my co-host Holly, and thank you for everybody who watched us live or later. Stay safe, stay healthy. We will see you next week. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.